Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. This is your host, Rebecca LaFond. Continuing on with the International Women's Day series, in this episode, we'll be looking at the struggles that women face in the workplace and looking for employment. I'll be joined by Lydia and Mattia from the Young Women's Trust. We touch on the many different ways that employers can make a more inclusive workplace and systems that they can put in place to ensure that young women in their companies feel heard and feel able to deliver to the best of their abilities. We also look at unpaid work and how women are often expected to do certain jobs and fulfil certain roles while their male counterparts are not. Both Lydia and Mattia discuss things that they wish they knew as a young woman looking for employment. It was such an interesting conversation and I know I learned a lot from it and I hope you will take away some useful tips knowing a little bit more on how we can all help young women starting their careers. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our sponsor, Work For Good. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. And now for my chat with Lydia and Mattia. I hope you enjoy it. So, hi guys. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and sort of tell me a bit more about your organisation? Yeah, I'm happy to go first. Um, So I'm Lydia. I'm the Head of Participation at Young Women's Trust. Um, So essentially it's my role to make sure that everything that we do as an organisation is shaped by young women who have experience living on low and no pay, Um, but also that we are empowering them to be advocates for change as well so that they can campaign with us too. Um, And I have Mattia here with me. Mattia, do you want to introduce yourself? Certainly. So I started off with the Young Women's Trust as an advisory panel member, which is a volunteer role for two years. And on the advisory panel, people get involved with sort of the direction of the charity, along with getting training and meeting young women in similar roles. After that, I uh, started to be trained up to do peer research and then later became a research associate for the Young Women's Trust uh, Research Centre for Young Women's Economic Justice, which launched in April last year. So yeah, I've done a few bits and bobs to highlight Young Women's Trust, had a few different roles, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, that sounds great. So I guess my first question is, how do you think education affects young women's abilities to progress in work and in life in general? Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, we've heard time and time again um, that young women are finding themselves funneled into more uh, traditionally female-oriented sectors. So that's your kind of caring, your catering, your cleaning um, industries, but that's not necessarily what they're after. And that's not to say that those sectors aren't important. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about um, actually why those sectors of industries are really important. But I think it's also traditionally, you know, they tend to be the sectors that are paid less compared to those that are more male dominated. So, 
you know, engineering, construction and those sorts of sectors. So, yeah, so I'd say that's probably one of the reasons why. I don't know, Mattia, do you have anything else you want to add around that? I completely second what Lydia said. You know, a lot of young women do feel like they don't have that many options and are sort of funneled into certain directions. You know, there is still very much the, the stereotype of, you know, women's roles and women's jobs and men's work and things. There's some research with YouGov to mark the National Numeracy Day in 2020 found that Four in five young women are completely discounting careers in financial services because of the lack of confidence in numbers. I think that's just one of those examples where maybe girls aren't encouraged or have the confidence in themselves to go into, say, finances or maths. With A-levels, only 19% of female students take up A-level maths, whereas 37% of male students do. Personally, I didn't spend much time in high school for medical reasons. I was in hospital a lot. I only came out with two GCSEs, my English and my maths at level C. I have to C4 now, I guess. And that made it so hard to get into a college at 16. I was eventually taken in somewhere and I wasn't able to stay the full two years. So that sort of didn't count for anything academically. And for literally any job, they require about five GCSEs sort of C4 level, you know, for literally any any job. And that's just such a huge barrier that's put in place. And personally, I think it's necessary. You know, I don't think someone's ability to work is based on whether they, you know, pass GCSE history or something. It does seem like an outdated barrier. And there's a lot of reasons why young people aren't getting those qualifications. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense because I know when I was out of work and I was trying to get in somewhere and I was doing marketing like out of university and I had a degree in advertising but they were giving it to somebody with a degree in history and a degree in um, some finance and I was like but I have the actual skills but this person has a better degree and so you'd prefer to give it to that person and so I can imagine like if you come out of school with no qualifications how much harder that is then and even to go on to sort of college courses and training courses you need to get your GCSEs and it's just such a huge barrier and fence post to anything and everything you have to get into further education to get into work it feels impossible and like nobody wants you or that you're not worth anything because you didn't pass exams or at least that's how I felt like I didn't have anything to give or anything that was worthwhile to provide because I didn't have qualifications and I think I remember saying almost exactly this to Lydia when she inquired about me going to peer education you know researchers are people with degrees and stuff right you know I don't even have proper GCSEs. Why would anyone sort of want me? Or it, it can feel really isolating. And I know the people who come out of school without many GCSEs for whatever reason, and it is quite a common feeling. Well, I'm glad you've got the Young Women's Trust uh, <laughs> to help you out. <laughs> Hopefully, um, you guys can help more people out who are, who are also struggling. Something that you mentioned earlier, Matia, is the Young Women's Advisory Panel. 
How important is that to your work as an organisation? I'd say it is absolutely crucial. It's the heart of what we do. The thing that makes Young Women's Trust unique and so important is because it really is sort of led by young women. There is no decision that's made within Young Women's Trust that is not fueled by the advisory panel. So each year they work on the strategy for the next year, everything through what sort of social media they post, how to interact with people on the Young Women's Trust Lounge Facebook group, right through to, you know, what's important, what do we need to work on? I remember sitting in on a lot of interviews for staff members while on the advisory panel. It really is the heart of what Young Women's Trust do. And I don't think that many charities have this. And I think it's something that is really authentic about the way that Young Women's Trust function because it is so incredibly important. And from my perspective, at least as someone that's on the panel, it was incredible to see after a few days of brainstorming ideas and writing on notepads and whiteboards, within a year, we'd then see those ideas come to life and it would feel like we had that effect on the organization and therefore other young women amazing and just to yeah just to echo that I think it is you know it is about kind of handing the mic over as well and so as well as you know young women shaping the work that we do and and informing this the decisions that we make as a charity it's about us giving power to them giving them the skills that they need to be advocates for change to be seen and heard in places that they aren't usually so we're often trying to find opportunities for young women to meet with MPs, to speak to the media. Um, young women will write blogs for us. They'll attend events even with some uh, potential funders, for example, to talk about the issues that are important to them and why it's really important to support our organisation, um, but also to listen to them and to take them seriously. Uh, that's another really important aspect of the, of the panel. I think it makes so much sense to have an advisory panel made up of the people that you're trying to help, because who better to know how to help them 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 themselves really so I guess my next question is what do you think is the biggest challenge women face in the workplace today (laughs) I can kick us off on that so our latest uh, research report one size fits no one found that a lack of flexible and accessible employment opportunities is the main thing that's preventing young women from finding and, and staying in work so in terms of accessibility you know, over a quarter of the young women who took the survey, and that was a thousand young women we surveyed, um, told us that not being able to afford associated costs like travel to and from work really made it difficult for them to even apply for certain jobs. And then when we look at the flexibility side of things, you know, um, employers that weren't providing flexible opportunities from day one that wasn't even something that was considered made it really difficult for those that need to manage their mental and physical um, health needs or caring responsibilities and yeah so that for us was quite shocking really to hear. To follow on from that I think there's a lot of challenges that young women face in the workplace and it is difficult to try and pinpoint it down on one thing is young women are a huge group of people and you know they're sort of lumped together but there is so much diversity within that but I do think that ultimately it is sort of accessibility and flexibility uh young women got sort of higher chances of looking after family members or caring responsibilities and things like that that may mean that they can't work nine to five you know five days a week and it may be 
suffering from health conditions themselves that mean that they require a bit more flexibility. I think this is particularly ramped up during the pandemic because everyone worked from home and now a lot of businesses are expecting people to go back into the workplace and it's not suitable for a lot of people. It is a really, really difficult barrier. Personally, I've worked in office jobs that were perfectly capable of being done from home and instead I needed to commute an hour to work to then sit with my laptop at a desk and do exactly what I could have done at home and that may not be too big a deal for some people but I've got health issues and that hour's commute two hours total would exhaust me it was tiring and it cost money that I didn't have to spend when I stayed at home and the same goes for people who have little kids to look after or family members to support so often overlooked when people don't have those responsibilities themselves that makes a lot of sense and I guess this is just from my experience a lot of the people making the decisions aren't women and so maybe you don't have to go through those same challenges such as childcare and those types of things and I think often it's almost like a second thought and not at the forefront of their decision making actually it really should be exactly yeah yeah, well, second thought would be better than where it is now. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, I think something else as well as offering, you know, flexible working policies um, from day one, or the opportunity to work flexibly from day one, and you know, linking also to the kind of accessibility side of things, it's really you know, important for employers to be really responsive to the needs of their workforce. And and I think that involves really listening to people and understanding, you know, who they are, what their situation might be and what their background is. We talk about this concept of intersectionality and that that's something really, really important to us at Young Women's Trust, really understanding those kind of intersecting experiences that people have or young women have that might impact uh, their ability to work or stay in work. And so we really believe that employers have a responsibility to really understand that and take the time to understand that. And we think that, you know, in doing so, they're going to be able to create workforces that are really diverse, feel really inclusive, that people feel, you know, really motivated in their work because they feel understood. Just, yeah, one other thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I 100% agree with that. Before I had the job I have now, I was very much in workplaces that weren't very understanding and it was just it's this or you leave and I remember thinking well in my next job I want to be somewhere where the environment's kinder and the managers are more willing to listen and that change of now being in a a job with an employer that that cares about my well-being that's willing to listen to the issues that I have is such a difference and has made such a, a huge impact on my own life and I guess I now also care a lot more about the company. Like, I, I want to do well for them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're somewhere better now because it really does make such a huge difference. And I think, mm-hmm. at least personally, it made you realise how well, how much I struggled previously in jobs when you yeah. were like, oh, gosh, it can be like this, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It does go both ways with employers, and that's not something that many people think about. And I think the young women, it's just, no one's not wanting to make a fuss or not feeling like they'll be heard if they speak up about it. About what Lydia said about creating a more inclusive workforce by accepting these flexibility offers and things like that. For a lot of people, flexible working is just so they can save time on a commute or, you know, stay in their pyjamas. But it is literally the difference between being employed or being unemployed for some people. It is the difference between being able to remain in work after a child or an injury or an illness 
or having to leave that job and potentially gone benefit it is huge and it it isn't just you know people like working at home because you don't have to have office chit chat it it really is a huge accessibility it's essential for some people to be able to work How do employers go about building a more equal workforce, I guess, to help, you know, create this change? Yeah, so I mean, there's several things that employers can do and some, you know, around flexible, uh, like I said, offering flexible work from day one. So that doesn't have to be something that you earn after a certain of time uh, working, that actually it just is commonplace to, to, to be offered and access it whenever you need it. We also uh, sort of looking at, you know, yeah, in terms of trying to create more equal workplaces, transparency is really key. And when we talk about transparency, we, we're meaning about pay. And, you know, while it's been illegal for the last 50 years for women to be paid less than men, sadly, the reality is that the gender pay gap is, has actually recently increased from really? 10.6% to um, 11.9%, you know, I think a lot of that is largely down to over the throughout the pandemic, lots of employers stopped reporting uh, their gender pay gap. So there's definitely some effort that needs to be made to kind of get employers doing that again. And so that that transparency is there. So, you know, that that real sort of lack of salary transparency makes it really impossible for employees to um, know if they're paid less than their counterparts for doing the same role. And at Young Women's Trust, we believe that everybody has a right to know, you know, what roles paid before applying for them so that, you know, you're having them quite clearly on job adverts so that you know the type mm. of um, salary that you're expecting in that role. And yeah, we, we do think that sort of tackling salary um, discrepancies and, and being more transparent around that will help with tackling inequality as well. I guess sort of linking back to our um, one size fits no one report, our recent research, that young women told us that they are really keen to have more opportunities for development within workplaces as well. So employers seeking out ways that they can and looking quite creatively at ways that they can provide more development opportunities for young women to help them progress within their their careers as well. One of our other advisory panel members recently said something really interesting around challenging yourself to shift your mindset from needing a certain type of experience to do a certain job, but instead looking at different transferable skills or skills that have been gained from other countries as well. And, you know, that can help tackle some of the bias around, you know, educational requirements or the sort of yeah, traditional skills that are required to do a job. So thinking more creatively around the skills that women bring to the workforce and, yeah, in order for them to, to do a certain job. I don't have much to say because honestly I don't know I don't have the answers and I wouldn't know where to start but I think that just listening to people uh, mm. people who manage workplaces for bosses and employers listen to your staff uh, you know you wouldn't be the manager if it wasn't for your employees and there is so much that is just disregarded for whatever reason. There's a lot of bias. And if your workplace is really unbalanced in whatever way, then maybe have a think about why that is and think about what it is with your business or your organisation that is attracting certain types of people or 
pushing other types of people away. Think about the application process, the requirements for jobs and who they are interviewed by and as difficult as it is to bring up and think about at times, maybe challenge your own biases and, you know, wonder if there is prejudice, basically, and discrimination going on. It is something that is very taboo, but it shouldn't be. It needs to be talked about. And the only way that's going to be done is to talk about it and to get people to listen. I think that's the first step to taking action, in my opinion. Yeah, and sort of linking to that is encouraging employers, I guess, to invest in diversity and inclusion training for staff so that you can start to have, you know, develop that awareness um, around some of the biases or prejudice that you might hold and how you might sort of overcome them in the future and, and think differently. And, uh, and, you know, I've mentioned this already, but sort of taking that more intersectional approach to work um, is really important. And, and again, sort of touching on what Mattia was saying about really listening to staff and understanding who they are and where they come from and, and what makes them tick and what's going to really motivate them in their roles and what's going to be able to support them in their roles as well. Uh, I'll also mention our coaching service called Work It Out. It's a fantastic service. It's completely free. It's uh, Young women can access this service. They can have up to six sessions with a coach and uh, a coach can help them think about the skills, like sort of unlock their potential really and think about the skills that they already have and how they might use those to achieve the goals that they want to set out to achieve. So they're really skilled at supporting around um, improving mental well-being and also just kind of opening up your mind to what is possible and what opportunities are out there that might pique your interest that you might want to you know going into in the future so yeah definitely employers it'd be great for them to kind of partner with or signpost to services um, like our coaching service that can support young women in, in their workforce so yeah Mattia have you used work out before I have, yeah. It's my sort of first experience with Young's Trust. I went on the website to sign up for the Work It Out coaching service and came across the advisory panel thing at the same time. My expectations for the Work It Out coaching weren't particularly high, to be honest. I thought, eh, it's free, I'll give it a go. I didn't know what I expected, but I didn't expect it to be life-changing and it was. And I've spoken to so many people who have experienced Work It Out coaching, both through Young Women's Trust on the advisory panel and things, but also through peer research. And it has changed everyone's life in some way. Some of those are huge ways, some of those are smaller ways, but it really is incredible, the services that it provides. I had six sessions. I started off not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, feeling sort of kicked down and lost. I had no GCSEs. I hadn't been able to take down the job or anything. And after those six sessions, I was able to identify my skills, identify what made me happy in life, what my passions were, what I needed from a career and a job. And after that, I signed up to do a course in counselling. And I'm now training to be a mental health therapist. I don't think that I'd have got there if it was not for that coaching. It really is a brilliant, brilliant service and I can't recommend it enough. That sounds amazing. I was going to ask you a question on how do you inspire young women, but your coaching service sounds like it does exactly that. Because I know I, um, at one point, desperately wanted a mentor, a coach, or someone just to sort of help me figure out what my skills were. And I think having uh, access to something like that is incredible. 
Yeah. It really is, yeah. And it goes hand in hand with our CV feedback service, which is also free. It's what it sounds like, really. You send in your CV and that's then looked over by people who work in HR and they review it on a little grid system. And it's really sort of easy to sort of break down their feedback. Sometimes it's line by line. Sometimes it's about the layout. Sometimes it's about how to describe the skills that you've got in a better way. So you might just put down that you worked in Tesco for two years and that's it. And they'll be like, okay, well, what skills did you learn? And sort of pull out those skills and you want a way to describe it that people didn't really think about. And it can apparently be really beneficial to getting jobs. And I think it's also boosted a lot of young women's confidence because looking at your CV, it feels like it defines who you are, your worth and your ability to get a job. And, you know, it might not be helping you get a job. And through the feedback service, it gives a better representation of who you are and your skills. And it feels like it does more justice, better justifies who you are and your skills. And do you think services like this help, I guess, break down those stereotypes of you have to, I guess, do a job that's more catered for a woman or like you can't necessarily go for this job because it's more male dominated? Yeah, I would say I would say so. And I think, you know, because it's more about sort of identifying what your interests are and Mm. what you're what you think you're really good at. So our coaches use something called solution focused coaching. So it's less about things that have happened in the past that may have impacted uh, your ability to work, although you can talk about that. So a coach is never going to say, sorry, you can't talk about that. um, (laughs) But it is, they really kind of try and reframe it so that um, you're looking sort of ahead and you're thinking, okay, so what what am I really good at? And what skills do I have? And how can I apply them going forward? And what are the opportunities out there that could be open to me? And it's never sort of taking into account the fact that you're a woman. So I think services like that, yeah, absolutely do help to sort of break down those stereotypes. And I think touching on, uh, we were talking about education earlier. You know, it's also important that careers advice and in schools are doing their best to um, encourage girls and boys to think about jobs that aren't just in the more traditionally male or female um, industries. Again, sort of working in that more solution focused way, kind of opening up all opportunities based on what it is that you're good at and your interests and not just kind of pigeonholing you in a certain area just because of your gender. I remember going to one of those career things at school. They sort of told you what career you'd be good at. And I think most of us just got nurses and things like that. (laughs) Um, It wasn't very broad. So I guess looking back at your own careers, what's the one thing that you wish you'd known about achieving your own goals? This is a very good question. (laughs) I must must admit, when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, it feels like quite a big question. And I'm trying to sort of think back. I think actually one thing that's come up recently when I've been working with our advisory panel is this idea of kind of networking opportunities and how actually important that is. And I think there's also this, there's this kind of like fear sometimes around networking and having conversations with people that you don't know and that sort of thing. And I think for me, I feel like I really would have benefited from just being a bit more kind of aware of like what networking opportunities were out there for me, or even kind of my employer opening up those sorts of opportunities for me so that I could, you know, meet people in different industries and, you know, understand what it is that they're doing, how our roles might connect and kind of doing that a bit more earlier on um, in my career 
um, rather than now in my sort of more senior position, thinking about like partnerships and networking, that kind of stuff. I think it's really beneficial a lot earlier on. So yeah, I would say kind of networking, more networking opportunities than would have been really useful. And what about you, Matia? It is a very sort of difficult and broad question. <laughs> it is, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> what am I meant to say to that? I'm just about to turn 24 and I'm only, you know, partway through training of what I want to do. And I've done a few different things and sort of floating around. I think I should have paid more credit and probably goes for a lot of people, more credit to my transferable skills. Again, I didn't have qualifications, I didn't have certificates and, you know, everywhere sort of bans yours, not interested because you don't have those. But there is so much that all of us know and are so capable of doing that we learn from our personal life, from our upbringing, from our family, from previous jobs and volunteering. I had a lot of skills uh, that I never sort of valued in myself or realized that they were skills. I've always been good at talking to people and, you know, chatting. I'm creative. I'm so stubborn. And I never really thought of them as skills until I sort of went through the Work It Out coaching services and got involved with the Young Women's Trust. And I realized that I had all these skills and they're the kinds of things that help you get jobs. They're the kinds of things that help you, you know, function in this world. But I never really sort of thought of them as skills and I don't think a lot of people do. That's actually something that I've, I've sort of worked out for myself as well, that Everybody does have transferable skills, but sometimes they don't feel important, but they absolutely are. Those are, those are really great answers to such a, a big, broad question. So one of the issues that you're campaigning for is valuing young women's unpaid work. Can you give me some examples of what unpaid work is and why it's so important? Unpaid work is anything that you could potentially get paid for, but you don't. So this could be uh, looking after kids, whether they're your own or family members. There are people that get paid to, you know, provide childcare. It could be cooking, cleaning, driving. It could be voluntary roles. It could be doing things within your community or your sort of local religious church or mosque, things like that, getting involved in the community. It could be looking after elderly parents or grandparents. There's so many examples of unpaid work that are completely overlooked and people just seem to think that, oh, well, it's just something that you do. Or it's just, you know, what you know the oldest daughter does or the daughter does or the wife does. Comments like that came up a lot during our research on unpaid work, which we did a couple of years ago now. Yeah, and just to kind of add to that, um, some of our, so we, at the time, we analysed the ONS data, which found that the unpaid work that young women aged 18 to 30 do, such as the things that Matia mentioned, like cooking and cleaning, taking, looking after children, actually contributes to at least £140 billion. <laughs> so all of this unpaid work that young women are doing really props up the economy and they're not getting paid for it and that's where the kind of really valuing this work comes into play and I think you know 
we have, we're calling on the government to kind of invest in like more care infrastructures. You know, we'd love for everyone to be able to access affordable, if not free care, and that could be childcare or care for, you know, a family member or a relative. And also when you're sort of looking on the employment side of things, again, this is, you know, encouraging employers to think about um, having their shared parental leave policies and better paternity leave policies as well, so that the um, caring responsibility doesn't just automatically fall to the woman as it has always traditionally done. So yeah, I and yeah, I just couldn't believe when we when we did that research that 140 billion pounds is is how much that contributes to the economy. It's huge. Yeah, that's a, a ridiculous number. I didn't even know what unpaid work was until I saw it on your website, and it, it was quite a shock to me. But actually, it is so true. There's all these, I guess, women caring and looking after and doing all these jobs that they're not making any money from but they're just expected to do and how do you think we go about I guess reducing the amount of unpaid work that women do or I guess making it more paid or sharing responsibilities with with their male counterparts yeah I think it's um there's probably things that we could do around you know like so I mentioned around the sort of shared parental leave and um better paternity policies so that you know um men are supported and encouraged to to take on um, some of that responsibility as well and yeah that kind of investment in care infrastructures where you know some of the young women that we spoke to as part of that research said that they had to leave work because childcare expenses were too expensive like it was too much and that if they if they've got a dependent child that they're actually six times more likely to be out of paid work or unable to even start a job so it's really important that we have those infrastructures in place that are affordable if not free so that you know young women can access work if they want to i also think it's important for us not to kind of just think, okay, well, if we can find ways, invest in care, then, you know, there's no unpaid work that women want to do. And that's great. We've sort of solved it. But I think it, we should also recognise that there are young women out there that enjoy doing this and, you know, want to look after their children and, and want to look after relatives and that kind of stuff. I think it's just more about acknowledging that it is such a, you know, contributes hugely to the UK economy. And that's why, you know, the government should be investing in more other infrastructures out there as well to support yeah, it's actually really interesting. And another thing that I found just as interesting when researching about you guys is that the £20 uplift of universal credit and you guys are campaigning to make it permanent. And now that the government has decided to take it away, how do you think this is going to affect young women? I think it's going to affect young women massively. There's quite a few issues with universal credit and the way that it works, but I think issue that it always ultimately comes down to is it's just not enough whether that's mm-hmm. when they're trying to cover childcare expenses or when they are back in work and the money of the universal credit is then reduced because they're in work an extra 20 pound uplift really did make a huge difference to these people to then lose it suddenly even though we were expecting it to go it's huge. £20 is a weekly food shop. It really does add up. And I remember a lot of the research course that we did about the £20 uplift. And you could hear some of the fear and angst in young women's voices. And personally, I'm on Universal Credit. I, you know, received the £20 uplift. 
Um, I would say that I cope financially, uh, but the £20 uplift has been noticeable. And you do go without. It's the only way to sort of make it work. And the thing that I think is most important to bear in mind is that the people who make this decision and makes all the decisions around universal credit about benefits, about welfare, about taking the £20 uplift away, are the kind of people who don't realise the importance and the value of £20. And just to add to that, I think it's also quite worrying, you know, with the cost of living increasing hugely as a result of the pandemic, that £20 uplift was a real lifeline to a lot of young women. And now that that's gone, um, you know, it's forcing them to have to make some really difficult decisions to make their universal credit stretch to just be able to afford the essentials to live on. Yeah, even though um, that was the government's decision, we are still campaigning so that they increase it in line with inflation so that, yeah, young women aren't having to make these really tough choices to just to live. I hope you guys succeed. What can we do to help young women in their employment? We've already sort of touched on this a bit. Yeah, so, um, you know, staff are um, trained around diversity and inclusion um, so that they can tackle that bias and tackle discrimination when they, when they see it as well. And we also see it being, you know, the responsibility of all employees to be like a really good ally to young women as well. And, you know, challenging that discriminating behaviour when they see it, like call it out. You know, if it doesn't feel right in your gut, it probably isn't. Um, you know, we would really encourage people to, to be that ally to young women. I echo everything that Lydia has said, uh, working on internal bias and the sort of vibes that your organisation or business might give off that may make people not want to apply. I think, again, talking about things, the pay and these things are often thought of as quite taboo. Uh, one of the young women I spoke to on one of the research calls, she was in the locker room of where she worked. I can't remember where it was now, but a male co-worker was talking about his payslip, knowing that he didn't have enough money. And he actually mentioned how much he'd got that month. And she sort of said, hold on, you know, how many hours have you worked? He like explained. And that's how they found out that he was getting paid more than her for doing the exact same job in the exact same hours. And if it wasn't for him sort of moaning in the locker room about it, then he probably wouldn't have ever known. And they then worked together to work out how to approach their boss about it, which I think is just the most perfect response of being an ally, talking about it, being accepting and working together to, to make a change. And their employer actually did listen and did support them and did end up increasing her wages to what he was earning, which is the least that can be done in that kind of situation. I think a lot of it comes down to, to, to respect. In my experiences of employment I feel like it comes down to equality and judgment and so many different things but ultimately I feel like it's being listened to you know I explained that my health affected my job but I could do it if I didn't have to come into the office every single day I was capable of doing the work just not the commute and everything else that it involved but they didn't want that they ignored you know what I said and when I've asked for accommodations and other jobs, I have spoken to them about it. I have spoken up. But for whatever reasons, these things aren't listened to or acted upon. I think that's a really 
I guess, touching story about the girl and the guy in the locker room, because I think a lot of women have probably been there where they've sort of realised, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting paid a lot less here. More often than not, that's sort of where it gets left. It doesn't go any further than that, but um, it definitely needs to and it definitely should be addressed time that these things were challenged we all sort of know about them we all know that they're there and we just sort of don't think about them it's like the elephant in the room but it's time that these things were challenged and brought up and we have these uncomfortable conversations and stand up for ourselves and each other yeah, yeah. Definitely. and that when we do that our views are, and and you know are taken seriously and that something is is done about it and and acted upon I remember I one job that I had I was a waiter and then there was bar staff as well and the bar staff got I think two three pound more than the waiters and we were told it's because they were nights but I was doing the exact same hours as them I didn't work any mornings I only worked nights but because they worked nights they got paid more and that was just it and the bar staff was all men and the waiters were all female and that was just it was just an accepted thing and yeah and it's funny you know it is these situations where you kind of look back or or a situation that you're currently in and you're sort of like hang on a second <laughs> but I think that's why it's really important that we're talking about this that you know um, organizations like Young Women's Trust exist to be able to kind of show you know that this kind of stuff goes on and that it's not okay and that something needs to be to be done about it and I mean I'm really sorry to hear <laughs> that that happened but yeah it's something that we do hear quite often unfortunately yeah and do you think events like International Women's Day helps raise awareness to the issues that women's face yeah I mean absolutely um you know it really you know it's a moment in time that everybody or you know most people are aware of and you know there's a lot of kind of discourse around that time around issues that women are facing how we can make the society more equal um and yeah I think you know it's a brilliant way to be able to raise awareness about these issues I guess I would say that it shouldn't just happen in in one on one day of the year you know the conversation needs to keep happening and uh, we need to keep talking about these issues and doing something about them so yes I think it's brilliant that we have a day like this but the work doesn't finish after the 8th of March you know it keeps going and I think it's really important that we have people supporting organizations uh, you know women's organizations like Young Women's Trust you know we have an activism pack that people can download to look at ways that they can fundraise for us and support our work so that we can continue to support young women and so that we can continue to be talking about um, the issues that they're facing and thinking about ways that the government employers and all of us can be working together to to create that, that change that they want to see. I absolutely think that International Women's Day helps raise awareness and I think the same goes for all sorts of awareness days, awareness weeks, awareness months that have suddenly cropped up in the last few years. And it brings up conversation. It brings up topics that other people may not even know exist. And it's casual chats that can make change. It's seeing things on social media and thinking, wow, I didn't know that you know things were like that. It's about realizing that you're not alone and knowing what to then do about it. And charities such as Young Women's Trust do make a really big deal about International Women's Day to get the word out there, to let 
young women know what we do and that is actually something to do about it. You don't have to sort of sit and suffer getting paid less than your male co-workers. I again do think that it's you know a year-round problem not just one day of the year but it's better than nothing and I think that anything that can help raise awareness and help provide sort of opportunities for young women to know how to get help and that's a sort of signposting is incredibly valuable. My last question is any young women listening to this thinking I'd like to receive some of that help how can they access it? Um, Absolutely so as we've mentioned our services are completely free and you can access them online via our website that's youngwomenstrust.org forward slash get support. We have the coaching service which is spoken about which you can have up to six free sessions and speak to a professional coach about anything that you want to really and they will help you think about yeah what it is that you want to achieve what your goals are and how how you're going to get there the steps to to take to get there um we also have our cv feedback service so if you are currently want to update your cv or you're currently applying for jobs you can send us your cv or job applications and the volunteers that work on that service that have HR experience um, can give you some really tailored and personalised feedback about those. And then we also have our wide monthly YWT, as in cup of tea, webinars. So these are on Zoom and these are all based around topics that young women tell us are pertinent to them that they want to find out more information about. So the ones that we have coming up are around motivation and also around being your best self that sounds great I would say again that the human trust website is a really great starting point it will take you to the different sources like the cv feedback the work it out coaching young women's trust are really uh, active on social media so just give them a follow on instagram or facebook and you'll sort of naturally stay in the loop of what's going on and the opportunities available the YWPs are great. Uh, they've done all sorts from budgeting to your CV, uh, interview skills, journaling. There's so many different things going on. There's also some great signposting to links with other organisations that young women may need or benefit from. But as I just go on the website, and like Lydia said, the services are free. I signed up to do the work about coaching because, you know, it's free. Why not? And it's changed my life. And what you got to lose. Just one other thing I forgot to mention as well is, you know, Matia is here today and um, speaking so eloquently and sharing her experiences and also her involvement with us as an organisation. Um, we will soon have an opportunity for young women to join our advisory panel. So that will be opening up very soon. So definitely keep an eye on our social channels and website for that. And we also have a closed Facebook group called the YWT Lounge. So you can search for that on Facebook and uh, request to join. Again, this is a wonderful space. We've got about a thousand young women on there. um, And um, it's a lovely space for them to hear about opportunities to get involved in our work, to share their experiences and to support one another. Yeah, that sort of peer support and people rallying around and really helping each other um, and uplifting each other. It's really, it's really lovely. So do check it out. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And definitely I wish, wish I'd found your organisation when I was um, 
looking for work because it can be really lonely thank you so much for coming on the podcast we really appreciate it amazing thank you so much for having me thank you so much for the opportunity it's been an honor to sort of talk about young women's trust and services that we provide and i guess most of all the young women that we're you know representing yeah well it's more of a an honor for us because we're learning so much you know now I know about unpaid work and you know all these things that I had very little knowledge on before I've, I've learned a lot so thank you thank you again so much to Lydia Matia I learned an incredible amount during that conversation and it really made me think about my own experiences and the people and young women around me and how I can assist them to achieve everything and anything that they want to without barriers that employers and society have put in place. I think the part on being an ally is so incredibly incredibly important because that's something that we can all do. And I think if we all became allies for one another, we could achieve so much more. But I also think we need to have more workplaces that are inclusive. As discussed, so many of the people higher up are those that don't necessarily reflect society as a whole. We need to have more CEOs and managers and directors and decision makers that are focused on making a happy workplace for everybody because as we've heard there's way too many young women who feel like they can't have the job or be employed by a certain company. Often when we talk about women and employment we don't normally consider unpaid work that Lydia and Mattia discussed with us today. And I think we can all agree the statistic is shocking and is something that we do really need to strive to to ensure that the women that are giving up, you know, jobs and paid work to do unpaid work, such as caring and driving and cooking and all these other um, jobs that were mentioned, that they are doing it because they want to and not just because it is expected of them. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did recording it. Please let me know your thoughts and what else you'd like to hear us discuss on this podcast. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our sponsor, Work For Good. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders, who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Thank you also to Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Summit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk and Forest Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Thank you.